Now, our passage today, and I'm focusing in on verses 1 to 35, could not be more important for us. Because these verses speak about the end of the world, where history is heading, the destiny of every human being. People often say of car journeys, it's really important you know where you're heading, what your destination is, so you don't get lost, don't make a wrong turn. Well, how much more so when it comes to the journey of life and where you and I are heading, where humanity is heading. Vital we get this right to know the end goal, the ultimate purpose of it all. So we don't get lost, so we don't make wrong turns in life. So important for us. Now, of course, the future is very hard to predict. I mean, who would have thought that 2020 is going to turn out like this? But did you notice Jesus' words at verse 35, the end of our passage? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, Jesus is saying this teaching on the future, this teaching on the end of the world, it is so reliable, it is so trustworthy, it is more stable, more secure than the very fabric of the universe which admittedly is a huge claim from Jesus Christ, but if it is true, then you can see the immense importance of these words for us today. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, we also need to reckon with the fact that these verses are notoriously difficult to interpret. If you're familiar with this passage, Matthew 24, or the equivalent one, Mark 13 or Luke 21, you will know that what makes it difficult is that some verses seem to refer to the end of the temple in AD 70, and some of the verses refer to the end of the world way far into the future at the end of time. And Matthew sort of interweaves the verses together and says, like, oh, are these verses AD 70? Are these verses the end of the world? Does Matthew even mean us to, to read them in, in such a neat way? There's a prophecy from Isaiah, a prophecy from Daniel. There's apocalyptic language. It is not straightforward. But one thing that we can be absolutely sure of is the overall pastoral concern that Jesus has for his followers, has for you and I today as we listen to this throughout the passage. Verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 11, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. But, verse 6, do not be alarmed. But, verse 13, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. But, verse 25, I have told you all this ahead of time. So here is Jesus warning his followers, warning you and I today about the future, about the end of the world, so we are not deceived, but stand firm with him to the end. And so for all the intellectual curiosity and scholarly debate that does exist over this passage, and it's important to get into it, 
All the speculation that can arise around dates and times and, and signs, it is vital that you and I do not miss the main point and the overall thrust of this passage where Jesus is saying, look, the end of the world is coming and you and I need to be ready for it. So, three things for us to see from these verses. First, in verses 4 to 14, Jesus says, the end is coming, but not yet. This is the fifth teaching block in Matthew's Gospel, so chapters 24 and 25. You'll remember that Matthew structures his material around these five teaching blocks which match the five books of the Old Testament law. And this teaching section is prompted by the disciples' question in verse 3. When will this happen? Referring to the destruction, the end of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, the disciples are expecting all this to happen imminently in their lifetime. But Jesus says, look, it's coming, just not yet. Actually, there's going to be a prolonged period of unrest first. Global unrest, church unrest. The global unrest is in verses 4 to 8. Wars, verse 6. Rumors of wars. Nations rising against nation, verse 7. Famine. Earthquakes. You may think these are the signs of the end of the world, but don't be alarmed. Verse 6. These things must happen. God is in control of it all but the end is still to come. Church unrest in verses 9 to 14. Persecution, verse 9. Hatred. Apostasy, verse 10. Many turning away from the faith. The love of most will grow cold, verse 12. And you may think again, surely the end is near. Surely God will not let this continue to go on for his church. But verse 13. We need to stand firm. Verse 14, we need to preach the gospel to the whole world. Then the end will come. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? The end is coming. Yes, it is coming, for sure. But not yet. And the picture Jesus gives here, the illustration for his disciples to get this, he uses the picture of a woman going into labor Verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. As most of you know, I have four children, so I have some indirect experience of what this is like, and someone going into labor and birth pains, and I can reliably inform you that they are not over quickly, that there is a lot of pain, and the contractions, and they keep coming over and over. <laughs> For hours, sometimes for days, and you're wanting the end to come, but the end is not yet. And, and I should probably stop because I'm feeling a bit faint here. This is the illustration that Jesus gives here for what it's going to be like between his first and second coming. Labor pains, contractions. How the end is coming, it's marvelous when the child is born. Yes, it'd be marvelous when Jesus comes back, but it's not happening yet. Global unrest, church unrest. This is what it's going to be like, the nuclear program in Iran. The weapons tests in North Korea. The military space threat from China and the U.S. 
don't be alarmed. These things must happen. God is still in control. The end is still to come. The melting of the ice caps. The bushfires in Australia. The rising of sea levels. Don't be alarmed. They're serious. They require action. They are not the end of the world. The persecution of Christians across the world, in some cases at near genocide levels, according to a previous foreign minister here. Many turning away from the faith in Jesus Christ in the West. The love of many growing cold. Stand firm, Jesus says. Keep preaching the gospel. The whole world needs to hear it. And then the end will come. Now, for Jesus' disciples back then, they were expecting the end of the world in their lifetime. And so Jesus is putting the focus here on the not yet. Yes, it's coming, just not yet, not as quickly as you would expect. Of course, we now live 2,000 years later. We know the end of the world hasn't come in their lifetime. So we're probably tempted to think, is it ever going to come at all? And Jesus would say to us, look around you. Look at history, the past 2,000 years, and what do you see? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution of the church, and yet the gospel continuing to go to the ends of the earth. Has it not happened just as I said it would? Heaven and earth may pass away. My words will never pass away. What I'm saying here is absolutely true, reliable, more safe and secure than the very fabric of the universe. That is the not yet. And so you can be absolutely sure that the end is coming too. So if that's the first thing that Jesus wants us to see, the end is coming, but not yet. The second in verses 15 to 28 is this, the end of the temple comes first, then the end of the world. It seems from their question in verse 3 that the disciples were expecting the end of the temple and the end of the world at the same time. But in verses 15 to 28, Jesus wants to help them to see that, no, temple first, then the end of the world, two separate events. So let's pick it up in verse 15. Jesus says, so when you see standing in the holy place, that's the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, which originally referred to Antiochus IV in 168 B.C., who erected an altar in the very temple of God to the pagan god Zeus, and he sacrificed pigs on this altar. Can you imagine the abomination that that was to this Jewish people? That had happened, and Jesus now using this again for another prophecy, another fulfillment to come in AD 70, when the Roman emperor Titus desolated the temple by completely destroying it and leaving it just in rubble. 
Let the reader understand, Jesus says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there'll be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And if you want proof of just how great a distress this time was in AD 70, the siege in Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, I will point you to uh, one of the sermons that I preached this time last year on the equivalent passage, Mark chapter 13, with, with its emphasis on judgment. And I quoted there from the Jewish historian Josephus of the war, which speaks of just how horrific this time was, the famine, the starvation, the carnage and slaughter that occurred at this time. And despite how awful this was, how horrific the end of the temple was, Jesus wants his disciples to be absolutely clear that this is not the end of the world. Don't be deceived at this time. It is still to come. Verse 23, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you in advance. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. The end of the world is still to come. Now, you may say at this point, what is the relevance of all this for us today? We know that the end of the world did not come in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. We know that because we're still here and the world is still going and you and I are very much alive. Why is this important for us to hear? Because... Just as God's judgment came on the temple in A.D. 70, so God's judgment will come on the whole world at the end of time. Did you notice the illustrations Jesus uses in verses 27 and 28? How he describes the world here. Let me read it to you. Verse 27 for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone will see it when it's the end of the world. Verse 28, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. And so the wars of this world, the famines of this world, the earthquakes of this world, the persecution and hatred of this world against the church towards those just trying to follow Jesus and trying to love their neighbor as themselves, we can clearly see there is something wrong with this world. This world is not as it should be. The human heart is not as it should be. And that is why Jesus Christ came the first time. To cleanse our hearts to forgive our sin, to die in our place. Our relationship, humanity's relationship with God could be restored. But if anyone continues to or rejects that salvation, 
fails to see who Jesus really is and why he came. If you reject that, like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law rejected it, the leadership in Jerusalem, then judgment will come. Then Jesus will reject us, just as he rejected the Jewish leadership of his time. You might want to have a read of chapter 23 later, the chapter right before this one, where Jesus pronounces seven woes, a cry of judgment upon the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Seven woes. Let me just read out two for you now. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. There is so much good in this world. So much moral goodness, spiritual goodness, religious goodness on the outside. But there can also be a lot of greed and self-indulgence on the inside. Like dead bones, like a carcass, and the vultures are beginning to gather. Jesus' words about the future, about judgment. It came in AD 70. It will come on the whole world. Now look, just to be clear, Jesus is warning his disciples here. Remember the pastoral concern? Don't be deceived. Flee to the, nation, to the mountains. Don't go back, pray. Pray. He is telling them all this in advance so they can take the necessary action, and so it is for you and I today. Do not be deceived by the end of the world. Do not be deceived. A judgment day is coming, but take the necessary action now. Flee to Jesus. Trust in him. Stand firm to the end. That is what every human being needs to do. And look, I say that knowing that the end of the world can sound somewhat ridiculous. You imagine the people with the poster boards, the end of the world is nigh. You know, the talk of Judgment Day, it can seem something of a joke. But you know what? It would have been a bit of a joke, or certainly a huge shock to the disciples, hearing Jesus say in verse 2 about the temple, not one stone will be left upon the other. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Even the Babylonians couldn't completely destroy the temple. We rebuilt it in 20 years. It's here to this day. Jesus saying in verse 34, this is all going to happen within one generation. You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. There's been a temple on this site for a thousand years and it's all going to be utterly destroyed within a few years. What a joke. Except it wasn't a joke. It happened. We know it did. It is a fact of history. Josephus tells us. You can look it up. You can go there today. There's nothing left standing, just a wailing wall. It wasn't even part of the temple. Not one stone left upon the other. It happened just as Jesus said it would. Matthew's gospel in circulation 
by the end of the 50s, early 60s, 10 years before Titus raised it to the ground. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. You can trust me with this. You need to trust me with this. Heed the warning. Take the necessary action. Judgment is coming. Flee to me. And do so before it's too late. Judgment is coming on the temple first, then the world. The final thing that Jesus wants us to see from this passage is that the end of the world will happen when Jesus Christ comes back. Verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So here are the disciples. They're wanting some sort of sign to work out the exact date, the exact time, how they going to know when's going to be the end of the world and Jesus coming back and says, look, there's, there's not going to be any sign. The only sign will be me coming back. When you see me in heaven, with all power and glory, the most public event in all of human history, and there will be mourning on that day for all those who failed to see who Jesus Christ really is. The real Messiah, the Savior we all need, but I was too busy to look into these things. But no one else seemed really that interested in it. And there's so many obstacles to faith, suffering, other religions, so many other religions. How could just one religion be true? All these excuses will turn to tears on that day. Mourning as they see the truth about Jesus Christ right before their eyes and realize the terrible mistake they have made with him. Tears that tragically will never run dry as they now realize their chance to repent and turn to Jesus Christ is lost forever. But for those trusting in Jesus Christ, well, what a day that will be. Angels, a loud trumpet call, all of Jesus' followers gathered from all over the world. Not one will be missing, not one will be lost. No more wars, no more famines, no more earthquakes, no more persecution, no more hatred. It will all be over forever. The final curtain call, the end of history. The happily ever after we all long for, it is coming. When Jesus Christ returns, history is not a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, as Shakespeare once put it through Macbeth. It is history, his story, and he is in control of it all. And Jesus Christ lived for us, and he died for us, and he rose for us, and he's interceding in heaven now for us. And one day he will come back for all who
who trust in him. That is where history is heading. Not to some nuclear holocaust, not to some climate change extinction event. It is all heading to Jesus Christ. Our creator, our savior, the very meaning of our lives, the sustainer of every fiber of our beings. The one who is coming in all power and glory for us. Every day is a day closer to him. Do you know him? Do you trust in him? Are you living your life in light of this fact, this reality? Are you telling others about him? Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. So do not be deceived. Trust in me. Stand firm to the end, Jesus says. I'm coming back for you. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we continue to thank you for Matthew's gospel and all of Jesus' teaching contained in it, this fifth and final piece of teaching, the last bit before he goes to the cross for our sins and rises to new life and how important it is for us to not be deceived about the future. The judgment day is coming and we can be sure of it because of what happened to the temple in AD 70 but that there's always salvation with you, forgiveness with you. If we turn to you, trust in you, stand firm with you to the end, preach the gospel to others, please reassure us in this. And if we have not turned to Jesus Christ yet to have that inner transformation of heart, that inner reality, then please did your spirit move us to do that right now. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.